Perhaps it's the weight of your purse that wearies you. Now I could remedy that. You hand it to me, and if it weighs more than a just amount, then I'll share it with those who have less. Hello and welcome to episode 122 of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we write injustices um, about films previously described by other outlaws as masterpieces. I am the plucky, um, longbow-wielding outlaw of this episode, and I am joined as ever by Roger. The evil sheriff and all King John. Oh, I had you down as a Marion, but okay, that's fine. Don't tell anybody about that. <laughs> we are exploring... Well, specifically, we are talking about the 1938... Is yeah. it 38? Yeah. The Adventures of Robin Hood, but we will circumnavigate round to some of the other many other cinematic incarnations of uh Britain's and uh Hollywood's favourite outlaw. Yeah, and look looking at I, I'm not going to claim we have a representative selection here. I'm I'm gonna talk, I think, about the ones that interested us mm. rather than necessarily well, the, that was significant. So where that starts in too fact, many really aren't well, they? Yeah. Not, not to mention the, the you know, Rob B. Hoods and all that stuff. Yeah, uh, the, the derivative works, as you may say. So, okay, the, the, the very first one, which obviously I would love to find, I have not yet found. There is a 1912 half hour, which I believe is not a lost film, but I have not been able to lay hands on it. Uh, right. Um, but the first widely popular one, uh, was 10 years later. And has the unwieldy title of Douglas Fairbanks in Robin Hood. Oh, right. And who was Robin Hood? <laughs> <laughs> so, th- this, so this is 22. Yeah. Um, 1922. Th- this is Douglas Fairbanks Senior, of course. Um, mm. This was the first film ever to have a Hollywood premiere. Uh, Grandma's Chinese Theatre. Wow. It was one of the most expensive films of the 20s. It, it was a budget of around a million dollars of, you know, $1922. Which is like five billion today. <laughs> yeah. And, and you can see it. I mean, particularly if you look, if you look at other films of that sort of period, we, we, we've got, yes, some, some long shot of the castle may be a map painting, but when, when we're up close, there is, act, there is an actual staircase with people going up and down it. It's not just, Goodness. here is a tapestry hanging behind them. Oh, um, this was a silent film, presumably. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the reason I, I find it particularly interesting is uh, because when it came time to make the 38, um, they they looked at the 22 and they thought, United Artists are remarkably and notoriously sue-happy. <laughs> okay. So while the 20... I mean, the, most of the 22 stuff is from various elements of the story. I mean, it, it, it's not a single coherent mythos anyway. No. Um, but they were very careful that they, they basically they, they did not use for the 38 anything that was in the 22 that they could not point to and say, look, it's in this public domain source, which, which is one of the reasons why it has the incidents that it does. Oh, that's interesting. I, I was slightly surprised with the adventures of Robin. I always thought, um, Loxley, Robin of Loxley was a sort of modern invention, but no, he's Robin of Loxley in the adventures of Robin Hood. Presumably not in 1922. Uh, in 22 is the Earl of Huntingdon. Ah, uh, that explains what happened in Robin of Sherwood. And, um, in, in this version, he's actually, um, 
go, he's second on, second in command on the crusade with with King Richard, right? And rescues Marion from the attentions of Prince John, and then um, then it all gets complicated. I mean, he has to lose that position in order to be the leader of a band of outlaws, after all. Yeah, they don't tend to let you do the two together. It's but it, it's interesting to see that in in this that the uh, the band of outlaws is already up and running, and then Robin comes along and takes them over. Yes, so, it's, yeah. so we, we don't have the gradual meeting them thing. Um, now, this version, the thirty eight version, is it all Norman? The, the thirty eight version leans very heavily on the Normans and Saxons as the the mm. goodies and the baddies. Yeah, does that does that occur in the twenty two version? Not really. It, it, it's a minor point if it's there at all. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't remember it cropping up a great deal in later versions either. And the the thing that really surprised me actually about uh, Fairbanks and Robin Hood is uh, Douglas Fairbanks ha- has this. He has one dagger slide down the backside of a tapestry. Oh that, no, I have seen that because that's quite famous. Yeah, but that's about it. I mean, I've, I've seen him do a lot more in, for example, the Black Pirate uh, in twenty six. Right. But that, this is really about it. Um, he, he, the pace doesn't lag. It's it's a very action heavy silent film, right? So you Fair have, to, enough, you have yes. to read a lot of body language. It, it does work. Fairbanks does a really good job of showing his moods with, yeah, just this is what my face is like. This is what my body is like at this particular point. But it's good fun. And then we get to thirty eight, which has Errol Flynn, <laughs> which may tell you most of what you need to know about the Adventures of Robin Hood. I mean, there's a number of different ways of interpreting. Or approaching the Robin Hood legend, but probably the most common has been what this is kind of the apotheosis of to me, which is the action adventure. Mm. And so, yeah, the, the, this is the first one to show the fight with little John on the bridge or the piggyback thing with Friar Tuck because those were specifically, um, elements Public that they, they could dig out. Um, yes. And this is also why we don't, well, part of why we don't have the setup, because a the audience already has some idea of who this guy is. He's an outlaw. He fights on the side of right. Uh, yes. But also, b if we, if we don't do the the stuff where he he's a nobleman first, uh, we don't need to worry about it. it yeah, it's, well, it's ever... not a hard idea to pick up, even if you don't know the legend. Well, he is a noble, but he's a, a yeah. Saxon noble. Well, the things we don't we don't have the the long scenes of he is Richard's right hand man. No, there's nothing in the Crusades here at all. Does Richard even crop up in this one? I can't remember. Uh, he might do right at the end. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's, it's already, a lot of the legend is already established. Um, and, and yeah, Robin just uh, arrives in the wood and, and takes over, really. And of course, this is, this has sound and this is in colour. Well, he, he's already. Oh, is it in colour? It's very in colour. Yeah, uh, three strip Technicolor. It was, it, I think it was Warner's first big budget three strip Technicolor film. So everything is thoroughly saturated with one yes. exception, which we'll come back to. <laughs> but yeah, the, um, it's clear they, they didn't want to waste any of that expensive footage on boring things that didn't move. I mean, it is, uh, it is not a film that um, lacks pace. It's fair to say it, it's, it's 97 it. minutes and it basically hardly ever stops. Yeah, it, I mean, it uh, probably was hard to keep Errol Flynn still at the best of times, <laughs> unless he was, unless he was unconscious. <laughs> but um, even then, probably, yeah. He, even then, yeah, he's. Um, I mean, he's a. 
he looks, I don't know, the tra- I mean, he was a troubled gentleman, I know, but he looks like he's enjoying himself here and that translates to kind of you enjoying yourself watching it as well. It, it is, I mean, it's so cheesy. It is so kind of, it's so, um, it made me want to watch Men in Tights because, um, I thought this is really ripe for the piss taking out of it, but it, um, we'll maybe come on to that later, but in a way it, it, it kind of takes the piss out of itself and it doesn't really care. It's just so joyous and upfront about <laughs> this ridiculousness and he's a lusty fellow and all the, it's, it's just, um, I, I've got to say Flynn's acting isn't particularly great, but the part does not demand much of the way no. of acting. It demands someone who, who could be physical and, and he does, he does it very nicely. Mm. Uh, well, he's a star, isn't he? Not an actor. We talked about this before. Um, and he is, he does what he needs to. You, you, he's hard not to like, I think. He doesn't, he does, um, cocky without coming across as smug, which I think can be difficult to, to do. Yeah. He, the, you, you think this is a hero rather than I want to punch him in the face. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, he also has Basil Rathbone as the villain. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because the villain here is principally, which is slightly atypical for Robin Hood stories, Guy of Gisborne is the main villain, um, and the Sheriff of Nottingham's got a sort of fairly minor part. Yeah, he's more of the, the coward who's got caught in the middle of it. Yes. Um, but yeah, that and, and, uh, Basil Rathbone, who is, um, uh, doing the acting thing quite well, and Claude Rains, whom we, yeah. we lost, saw in Casablanca. I, I love his performance as Prince John here. Uh, you just, a, a casual evil. You know, the, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not really, you know, planning to do this. This is just what I do. It well, all flows the, uh, Claude Rains is one of those, he is an actor, you know, his character here is an evil shit, but different in ways to, um, you know, to Casablanca's, um, Reynard. Is it Reynard? Um, uh, the poor corrupt official in Casablanca, mm. um, who isn't much more likable, but just as much of a shit in his own way. Uh, I, I mean, he's a true, truly good actor that I, I didn't think I've ever seen a performance of his that I didn't like. But yes, he's, he's very good as Prince John here. Of course he is. And, um, I, w- I will grant that the part of Marin is thoroughly underwritten, uh, cause it's the forties, thirties even, um, but uh, Olivia de Havilland do- does a good job with it. I mean, she she is the only character who undergoes any sort of transformation in this film. Everybody else is basically the same person at the end that they were at the beginning. Yeah, she, she, she has had an actual a... change of sides. Well, she starts out as a Norman and ends up as a Saxon, basically. But yeah, she she starts out as a ostensible villain and is won over by Errol's tights um, and, <laughs> and <laughs> comes to see his way of thinking. But she, I mean, she does get to play a quite. She's a proactive female character in mm. a way that a lot of them aren't. She's the one that sort of instigates the others to go and rescue Robin when he's when he's been caught, um, and she has to use a uh, some degree of intelligence to do that and bravery. So it's it's nice to see she does get something to do. The thing that um, struck me, I, I'm not sure who the uh, costume designer was on this, but uh, she has. And she's in the middle of all this Technicolor. So how, how do you, um, how do you make that stand out? You give her these lovely silver lame gowns so that she, she is the one thing that isn't brightly colored and saturated. <laughs> oh yeah. So she said, yeah, that, well, it works. Cause yeah, that is a strong image. 
and yeah, I think I think that's brilliant. And yeah, she lives up to it. I will say the one thing that fell slightly uh, falsely to me with Errol Flynn, he does do a very fake, fake laugh <laughs> quite <laughs> a lot in the Adventures of the Room. You know, real hands on hips, head back. <laughs> and it's... Um... Well, now, you could say that. The, the way I read that, and possibly I'm reading too much into it, is that he knows perfectly well that his life is on the line. And he's he's but laughing it, in the face But he's laughing to keep his own spirits up and to keep his men's spirits up. Okay, all right. I mean, it works because it's sort of infectious. Yeah, I would buy that actually in the context of the film. I I think that's fair. I'll let I'll let you have that. Um, I would be entirely willing to believe that it's just that I read that into it rather than this is what was intended. But that that's the way it came over to me. It does work. So it is an obvious fake laugh, but it's enough to lift the spirits. That's fair enough. I'll go with that. Um. The thing is, and a, a lot of more recent productions are trying to be a bit darker, and particularly from the eighties onwards, everybody's saying, "Oh, let's make it dark and adult and all the rest of it." And yes, I like this. I mean, the the stakes are real, but at the same time, you know, we're we're doing the best we can, and the best we can is pretty good. I mean, it, it bears no resemblance to any kind of reality, either historical or modern, really. But it, it's. <laughs> It's just infectiously kind of joyous and, uh, well, I think that's what I mean really when I said the the apotheosis of action-adventure is just, it hits all the right beats. It is ridiculous, but it it kind of knows it and it doesn't care and there's something beautiful about that, that it just... It just goes on and does it. You know he's going to win, you know Guy de Gisborne's... Uh, is, is never gonna win. He's, he's the hissable villain and he's gonna end up with a girl. Um, but you don't, uh, you don't mind it. I don't know. Partially because it doesn't give you a chance to think, hang on at any point because it just rockets along. And it, and it is quite a physical action film filled film as well. And, and hmm. the, the sets are beautiful. There's some wonderful sort of, like the final duel, uh, with Guy of Gisborne and, um, and Robin, uh, it's really, it's really good. I, I mean, partly I did want um, him to get skewered by Basil Rathbone because <laughs> Basil Rathbone's such a good baddie. But, yeah. <laughs> but it's 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 a really good high stakes fight. They use the environment around them really well, which is one of the things we like in an action scene. Um, mm. It's it's good. I like it. It's very stagey. I, I wouldn't have been so like if I went to a stage show and I saw this. I mean, I know it couldn't happen, I'll say, but it, it just feels unreal in a way that's like, come on, just go with it. And, mm. But it's very good at winking at the audience and doing that. It's it's honest action adventure rather than, well, we're a bit ashamed of this and we're going to try to justify it in some way. If yeah, it's saying, not trying to be postmodern. Yeah. It's not trying to be anything. If, if other you don't like it, it, go and watch another film. <laughs> yeah, and and so consequently, it's very good at what it does. Also, fairly good case can be made for this film having saved a life. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric Korngold, who provided the score for this, um, came from Vienna to write the score, and therefore wasn't in Vienna when the Anschluss happened. All right, so accidentally saved a <laughs> yeah, life. Yeah. But still, it counts, it's a win. I do like his score on this. It, it, it sets the mood, but it keeps the background. Well, I didn't really notice it as ever, which means, <laughs> which means it's good. Um, I, I mean, as far as versions of Robin Hood 
goes. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I don't know how you are. I'm not a huge. It's hard to be like a fan of the Robin Hood mythology because it's 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 so bitty and not really concrete and so different. I, I'm not really in love with it. I mean, I don't mm. dislike it. But um, so I'm not particularly wedded to any version of Robin Hood. But I have to say, this if, is, if uh, there is a historical Robin, it's, it's I don't think it's ever appeared on film. I'm, I'm sure they've tried, so, but probably be so unpleasant yeah. <laughs> that you wouldn't want to see it. Um, so I'm not sure I want to know the reality. Well, of... if you if you look at the history of the myth, that they may well have been a bandit who was called something along those lines. But he certainly didn't become a hero until a generation or two after he was dead. So. Yeah, often the way along with the you know, hero with the wake, and all, all these folk heroes, all uh, the, the the worst bits have a way of getting polished off in in their retelling. But uh, uh, this is certainly up there in my uh, well, it's probably my favourite cinematic telling of Robin Hood. Hmm. I mean, I grew up; I had my first date watching the Kevin Costner Robin of Hood, uh, Robin of Hood, Robin Hood. Which was kind of my defining cinematic Robin Hood, and in a way, this is, that is kind of an updated version of this. That's um, we, although it's a bit darker and try pretends to be a bit more realistic. It is kind of Men in Tights again. We have a, Alan Rickman as a fantastic boo hiss Sheriff of Nottingham here. Yeah, I mean Alan Rickman is the reason to watch that film, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, absolutely. Kevin Costner is. Uh, I think he's a great actor, Kevin Costner, but it's probably not his finest performance in Robin Hood. Also, I don't know if you were listening to the radio that that uh, a few months while that was coming out, but that bloody song. Oh yes, we we had just had MTV installed, and <laughs> we had it installed to watch that be at the number one for like seventeen weeks or something. It was ridiculous. So. Um, but uh, I think this this film is uh, probably much better than that. I, I mean, I don't want to compare Basil Rathbone and Alan Rickman because they're both great in their own ways. Um, but I think Errol Flynn is a better Robin Hood than Kevin Costner. Yeah, the, the thing about Flynn here, and I, I think I appreciate him less as I get older because he he really does come over as the as the enthusiastic kid in yes, this performance. Yes, yes, he does. Yes. And, you know, when you are an enthusiastic kid, that's great. Here, I think here that's is this guy I... with an adult's body doing the things I would do. Except maybe that icky kissing stuff, but, you know, never mind that. <laughs> <laughs> I think in many ways it is a kid's movie because it is so uh, one-dimensional, one-note, so kind of archetypal and superficial. But it is phenomenally good at doing that. So even jaded old souls like us can extract enjoyment from watching it. Absolutely. Um, but I agree... I would have adored it as a, as a kid, um, in a way that like I loved the Crimson Pirate and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, but I, I, I never I think I saw come this across this one in passing, or maybe you know, fragments of it, but uh, didn't didn't watch it in full until you know, a few years back. So, um... well, I, I've touched on the other, one other cinematic Robin Hood. Um, should we talk about some others? Mm. Well, the the next one. Uh that I was paying attention to chronologically as the, is the uh, Disney animated one. Oh no, I did what I haven't, I've never seen this. So I watched uh, a little bit of it because I have Disney plus. So I, I opened it up. Um, uh, I, I didn't gel with it that quickly. I have to say, so I didn't watch the whole thing. Yeah. It's, it's odd. I mean, it's got two big action sequences, but, to me, it feels very disjointed, and um, mo- mostly what you get is one comic scene, and then 
we move on and there's another comic scene which isn't particularly connected to the previous one. Right. One, yeah. one of the things I like about the um, the Michael Curtis Robin Hood is that it's it has that consistency. You you can see how how things are leading into each other. But mm-hmm. yeah. It, it's a combination of we will do this on the cheap. I mean, they, they they rotoscoped a lot of it off off previous Disney footage. Oh, okay, um, so ba- right. basically tracing the new character over the old animation sequence. Um, well, yeah, that was probably why it's quite disjointed. Then, yes, uh, li- little John is basically Baloo from the Jungle Book in a costume. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes, uh, and so on. Um, there are some good voices, but the animation looks cheap to me. Um, so on on the one hand, you've got this um, on the production side. It is very much we will do this on the cheap. You know, w- Walt has just died when this is produced. Oh, so, yeah. Sorry, so, Walt. so there there is more breaking from convention than than he would actually have allowed. But right. at the, but at the, so on the one hand, it wasn't much of a success at the time, well, at least compared with other Disney releases, because it wasn't exactly the recipe as before. But yeah, there, there is a spark of originality here, but it's only just a spark. I will mention in passing that I I have met a number of uh, furries for whom this the f- film was their great awakening. So you know, watch out for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. They they're animal characters, but basically humans with animal heads and quite furry. So yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yep. yep. Excuse me. But um, I think it's, it's a few years after that uh, one, one that uh, gets a bit more attention, the 1976 Robin and Marion. Yes. Uh, this is uh, one that I watched. Uh, it's it's kind of right up my alley. In, have you seen this? Did you watch this yeah. one, Roger? I, it sh- well, it should be right up my alley. I mean, it, it's from the... Um, it's from a sort of slightly very distinctive period in the 70s when everything's a bit grittier and grimy. It's certainly trying to be more realistic and grimy. Yeah, it, it's not the late 80s, early 90s, make everything darker thing, but it's going in a similar direction. So yeah, I didn't notice whether they ever specified what had happened 20 years ago, but clearly Robin knew Marion. Well, this and is, then, and then think... he went off to the Crusades with Richard. Well, I think the idea with Robin and Marion is he's done all the adventures of Robin Hood. That's in his past. He's he's mm. had the Errol Flynn background. Sure. And then he went off to have more fun because he's an action hero. He couldn't bear to just hang around with Marion. So he went off to the Crusade to have fun with Richard um, and spent 20 years away, um, which is longer than King Richard's reign, as far as I recall. With, with Richard <laughs> the friggin' psychopath. Uh, Richard Harris as, uh, Richard. Um, what I like, it's actually got, basically got Richard's historical death in there that he goes to some minor little castle to try and steal some gold, uh, and gets shot in the neck with an arrow and dies of sepsis, which is basically what actually happened to Richard, as I recall. <laughs> um, but it, so it starts with them coming back from the Crusades and him, uh, reuniting with Marion. And it, I, yeah, I um... like, I, I I don't always enjoy watching Connery, but I do like him here as the the guy who is just assuming he can take up where where things were twenty years ago. Well, what's nice about this film? I mean, we have Sean Connery as Robin Hood, the wonderful Audrey Hepburn returning to screen after quite an absence, I think, as as Marion. And basically, Robin is kind of this big dumb idiot in the film. Really, hmm. he, he just he's 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 had his fun with Marion. He goes off to the Crusades, has a fun, has his fun there. That got less fun. He came back, and yeah, thinks he can just pick up where he left off. But it becomes this kind of more talky, philosophical. You know, what happens when your your legend becomes bigger than you and what happens when there's 
when you're in the twilight of your years and your legend's going to outlive you, how do you sort of live up to that? So, so yeah, it, this is 1976, Sean Connery, but he, but he's definitely looking old, deliberately. Yeah, he's in the sort of um, the Zardoz face, should we say, where he's not afraid to look a bit, <laughs> a bit like a prat in his outfits. What I re- there is some lovely armor in this. Mm. I mean, the the armor in this film is designed to stop you getting hurt, not to make you look cool. So everyone who's wearing the armor kind of looks a bit stupid. That these great oversized tunics and there's lots of strapping in and putting on and clanking about. Some lovely scale mail in it. Um, but uh, I, ultimately, it fell a little bit flat for me. I, I remembered it fondly from uh, my youth, but not incredibly fondly. And it uh, it seems to have sort of misguided comment. There's a lot of funny bits in it, which is sort of contrary to the, the more serious tone it's trying to go for. Uh, it is funnier than Men in Tights, but... <laughs> but we'll come on to that. Also, as Nicole Williamson, in fact, the casting in this film is amazing. Nicole Williamson, uh, who is, um, Little John is great. Um, we have, um, we've got Denham Elliott. A uh, young Denham Elliott. I never realised that he was actually young. I know. He's actually got sort of, uh, long hair and he's doing a, he's doing a Scottish accent, which was you awkward next to Sean Connery, but, um, he seems to pull it off. We have Ronnie Barker as Friar Took. He, he never did much film work, but he, he does it all right here. We have, um, the Sheriff of Nottingham himself. Uh, oh my God, I've forgotten his name. The guy from Jaws. Robert Shaw. Thank you. He's really good in it, but he doesn't get a lot to do. Yeah. But it, it's it's got it's shot through with this kind of melancholy, which you know I like my melancholy. I like this feeling of age and old, um, and and just doom. <laughs> I like that sort of language. Mm. Uh, for me, this is a film that the soundtrack spoiled it because it is constantly this kind of melodramatic all the way through everything, <laughs> and I just wanted it to shut up after a bit. I think the things that worked best for me were basically the beginning and the end. Um, mm. beginning we've talked about where, you know, R- Richard is, you know, Robin has been sent on ahead to this castle, uh, where supposedly there is this gold statue and meets the, the one defender of it, a one-eyed old man with no weapons. Yeah. Yes. Um, he says, yeah, it, it, we, it was a stone in that field over there. It's still in the field. You can go and look at it. All we, all we've got here is women and children. And then, then Richard comes along and says, well, Tuffy, I, I want you to take the castle anyway. Yeah, kill them all. Um, so that, that at the one end and, and, all right, spoiler warning here. We're probably used to it by now. Um, but the, the, the whole ending sequence. So R- Richard, ha- sorry, Robin has his one last battle against the Sheriff of Nottingham. Mm. And he's really kind of, the Sheriff is clearly winning. And then Robin cheats. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's what, I mean, Robin's kind of a big dumb idiot the whole way through this. He completely doesn't need to have this fight. He just feels like he has to because he's an, a legend or an icon or whatever. I, I think he's aware that his legend is coming up. But he gets a, gets a good shot in the kidneys um, before he gets killed. Um, uh, so, yes, he and, goes and to... So, so, yeah, so Mar- 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 Marion takes him to... Well, she, she has become the... Uh, abbess of the local convent yes. during those 20 years and also no, no, no mean herbalist and basically she poisons them both 
Well, I love this is riffing on an old Holly, uh, Hollywood, an old Robin Hood legend mm. that he is poisoned by an evil abbess. Yeah. Um, and that's how he dies. And I like the twist that actually the evil abbess is Marion and she does it not for treachery, but because she loves him and she can't bear to see him uh, gradually it's, fade it's, away. Fade away. She doesn't want to lose him. And it, uh, what I like but is it's particularly one of the, she, yeah, the, the Robin who cannot be the physical Robin anymore. Uh, yeah, yeah, you, you what can make you arguments about legend d- disability can't... here, but the guy he is would not survive that process. Yeah, she doesn't want him, want to watch him just dwindle. Um, so she kills him. Um, and he sort of agrees with it. And I like that it's one of the few cinematic versions I've ever seen of, um, Robin's last arrow, you know, wherever this arrow ends, lands, bury me. Mm. And he fires it ridiculously far. Poor John's going to want tragedies to find that bloody. <laughs> but uh, I, I really like this film and I should love it. I mean, it, we talked, I talked earlier about different approaches to the Robin Hood legend and this is, this is a much more sort of thoughtful, talky version of it. There are some action sequences, but they're all kind of gritty and seventies and kind of clunk and, uh, and, uh, there's, there's none of the swashbuckling really. Uh, I'd like it, to it see feel, whether it feels a little bit Excalibur to me. That, oh, that kind of very, yes. Yeah, it does feel very Excalibur. The, the kind of dialogue is all, or the lion in winter. I don't know if you've seen that, but mm. it's all, um, it's all that kind of, um, I'd like it a lot, but the music spoiled it for me. And the, I don't know, there's something about it. Just, oh, we also have Ian home as, um, King John in mm. a nice little cameo. It just doesn't quite work as well as I would like, but I agree. I love the ending. I love the beginning. I'd like a lot in the middle. <laughs> So, yes, there was the 91 Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, which we talked about. There was also Robin. The, the film that everybody I knew called The Other One. Yes, which the I one with them. Patrick Bergen yeah, and that's U- it, yeah. Uma Thurman before Tarantino discovered her. Did that um, come out the same time? I think it was slightly ahead. Uh, I'm not right. sure exactly. It, it was certainly the same summer they were fighting for space in the theatre. Clearly much lower budget. It's a bit, it's a bit weird. Uh, I have it, seen it, it. It doesn't have a um, sheriff of Nottingham, and it, it has someone who does the same job in the in the narrative. But um, it, it, it's a di- it's a difference. They've changed the names at least to tell basically a similar story. Which I remember being vaguely bored by it. I'm afraid. I remember a lot of people like being the cool ones saying, "Oh, this is much better. It's much better than the Kevin Costner one. It's really good." I don't know about better. I did enjoy it. Uh, I I may have been cruel to it, but uh, I I don't remember it very well. But um, I don't think there's anything particularly remarkable about it in retrospect. It's a relatively straight um, version of the story. It does have Jürgen Prochnow as a villain, so you know. Always good to see you again. Oh, I do remember that. <laughs> now you mention it, yes. And uh, Yero and Krabbe as well. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's fun, it, but it's not. It's not great. Um, the the uh, Costner one I find less fun, but also not great. So. <laughs> except <laughs> well, for, except I... for Rickman. I mean, I'm sure somebody's done a Rickman cut of Prince of Thieves. Oh, that would be worth watching. Oh, cut his heart out with a spoon. Um, I, of course, <laughs> the one we haven't mentioned, but growing up in the 80s in the UK, you would have been pretty familiar with Robin of Sherwood. 
Mm, I, I saw it, but it was a few years after it was broadcast because uh, I, I, I knew somebody who was a great fan and had had all the videotapes. Yeah, I, I used did, to be videotapes, like kids. Ask your parents. <laughs> <laughs> what I liked about it is uh, this is yet another approach to the Robin Hood myth. Is this is approaching it from the kind of British folklore and dark magic and the that that kind of um, it's got her and the hunter in, and it's all about. Uh, um, yeah, this kind of dark heart. It reminds me a lot of Mythago Woods, that kind of dark primal magic that's mm. kind of the, the, the part of Britain and it feels very connected with British folklore. Um, I mean, it goes off the boil when, ironically, when Jason Connery turns up. <laughs> but <laughs> it was very good with Michael Prade and it had some, um, that to me, that's almost my, um, a bit like Jeremy Brett will always be my Sherlock Holmes. I think Michael Prade will probably always be my Robin Hood because of watching those films. So yeah, I, uh, I don't, I don't remember it well, TV but show. I think there are many bits of it that, work, that do it. I, I especially like the uh, integration of magic and old gods that are basically accepted because you know they're, they're part of everybody's belief that people are going to be yes. awed and impressed by it, but but they're not going to disbelieve you if, if you say that's what happened because that's the sort of thing that can just happen if you're out in the woods. That, well, that's it. I, I think I really like the approach of this kind of mystical, um, yeah, that, that approach to it, uh, which the other Robins, you know, they've all been action heroes, really. Mm. Even the Robin and Marion, there's no, there's no mysticism to it, almost the opposite. Um, and I really like that with Robin of Sherwood. Also, they had their cake and ate it because Michael Prade is, of course, Robin of Loxley. And when Sean Connery, uh, when Sean Connery's son turns up, um, he <laughs> is the Earl of uh, Robin of Huntington. So they get both of them. Yeah, I I might well watch that again sometime. It's, it's been a while since I saw it, but um, I have the DVD somewhere. I just I'm not sure I have a DVD player anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so certainly, just uh, taking a side turn on this uh, from a role playing point of view, because it's a TV show with an ensemble cast, even if it does have one major hero, uh, it's much easier to adapt something starting there to an RPG format because they were always trying to find things for everybody to do rather than just say, here is the hero and over there are his comic relief support guys. Yeah, that's the nice thing. It doesn't all have to be about Robin. And of course we haven't mentioned Maid Marian and her Merry Men which was kind of the the uh, poor man's version of Blackadder in some way. <laughs> but uh, I quite liked it. And yeah, a... a... Last one I wanted to mention was uh, the 1993 Mel Brooks Robin Hood Men in Tights, which <sighs> it's got some lovely bits, but Mel Brooks gets the Mel Brooks over everything. I love Carrie Elwes. Um, yeah, and absolutely. I have done ever since The Princess Bride. Um, yeah. I, I thought I'd watch this because I thought, well, this is ripe for the plugging. This is, this is, could have the piss tank. But. I thought I'll just watch it to the first flat joke, and I have to say, within ninety seconds, I was considering stopping watching it. It's, it's a style of humour. I don't know if it's very—I uh, don't want to say American because airplanes American, but it's very in your face, on the nose, very zany. Mm, I, I think some of it is the uh, Borscht Belt comedic style, which which uh, Mel Brooks certainly came out of, um, mm. which frankly had gone out of fashion by this point. Outside that, you know, it, traditionally the aging um, Russian Jewish American immigrants, who who were now old men, old women in America, living living in upstate New York, yeah, 
uh, the, the, this this was the style that grew up of comedy that that that, that they would go for. Well, and, I think for yeah. me that the difference is, you know, in airplane, that the key is nobody in airplane knows they're in a comedy, mm. whereas in Men in Tights, everyone knows they're in a comedy, and, and they're the, all and they're frequently looking at the camera, yeah, yeah, and they're all mugging it up for the camera, and it just. Goodness me, it's, uh, I, I had to stop watching it, I'm afraid. I found it. I, I, I would say two high points. Um, Ro- Roger Reese, whom you've never heard of, I suspect, I certainly hadn't, um, does a actually not terrible fake Alan Rickman. Yes, I, I have seen Roger Reese. I mean, if, you think if you're trying to play Alan Rickman, this is a thankless task. You're never going to do it as well as he would, but he makes a fair game of it. Uh, and the other is, um, the, I presume it was a publicity thing, but there, there was supposed to be a great fuss about and, and secret about who in the in the Costner film was going to play uh, King Richard at the end. I was totally shocked when Sean Connery turned up. So yeah, oh spoilers. And, <laughs> and and in this we we have a surprise Patrick Stewart at the end. <laughs> well, I didn't see that with Scottish accent. <laughs> well, maybe. Oh, is it worth watching? Well, you could skip forward to the last few minutes. All right, okay. I like it. <laughs> Honestly, it's well. I mean, we we've talked about this before, particularly the airplane episode. But the the thing about airplane, not not only as you say, do do, do they not realise it's a comedy? Um, but the jokes keep coming, and if and if a joke doesn't work, well, that's okay because we've got another joke. Yeah. Whereas here, uh, if a joke doesn't work, we're going to drag it out until until it has uh, lost all sign of <laughs> life and, and is beyond resuscitation, even with the paddles. And then and we're the, going... the, f- the focus is always on that you know, airplanes not afraid to just throw away jokes that you might just miss out the corner of your eye, or just like, wait, what was that? Were they? But here, it's like, here's this joke. Look at this. Have you left enough? Right. Here's the next joke. Look at this. Mm. Oh dear. I don't. Hey, uh, you know, obviously, blazing saddles. It works much better there for some reason. Um, Spaceballs is very hit and miss. I love his high anxiety, which is his Hitchcock, Hitchcock piss take. Maybe that, maybe Hitchcock is much more ripe for a piss take than um, Robin Hood. But C- certainly Hitchcock is always demanding to be taken seriously. Mm. But I mean, there, there are there are there are things here that parody the thirty-eight Errol Flynn film, and is that really necessary? Uh, does it help? Well, that's the thing. I think it's already kind of parodying itself. I mean, Carrie Elwes, certainly his character is very much an Errol Flynn type Robin Hood. Mm. Um, and he, he would have been great. I think he, if he'd yeah. been in the 38 version, he could have pulled it off, <laughs> definitely. Um, um, but unfortunately, also, he's, he's in this. I think this is also being made for Errol, for uh, Mel Brooks fans because there, there, are, there are references to other films. Right. All over the place as well. So, mm. it, it has uh, its moments, but. It didn't work for me, but um, but yeah, fair enough. Well, there we are. Oh, there, um, there ha- I, sh- I should say there have been some more recent ones, which are you know, early two thousands grim and gritty, which I at least have paid no attention to whatsoever. Apparently, there's one last year or the year before that's absolutely dismal that tries to modernise it. But um, I have I, neither have I kept up with it. I'm not particularly wedded to the Robin Who. Robin Hood, Robin Hood legends. Um, I well, do. Well, I will a shout out to the Time Bandits version of it, which I quite like. John Cleese's Robin Hood. I, th- I think the thing is, you know, a, a production company comes along and says, "Well, this this is conveniently out of copyright, and and it's got some name recognition. We will make we will make a version of Robin Hood." 
or King Arthur or whatever. Yes. And then they say, but we, we will make it grim and gritty because that, that's what, that's what our focus group wants. And in fact, their focus group is not representative. What, what people actually want is the Errol Flynn Robin Hood. <laughs> I, I think you're right. I think what it all comes down to is all the, all the mysticism and all the, the kind of the interesting stuff about the legend dying in Robin and Marion. Ultimately, I think it does work best or has been done best as an action adventure. Um, and I think, the one that is best out there is The Adventures of Robin Hood. Mm. I mean, it's not the perfect film, but uh, I, I will certainly go masterpiece on that one. Yeah, I think so. I, I think f- for how influential it was, yes, I think it probably was pretty influential. And is it is it the best at what it's... Is it the, the pinnacle of its form? I really do think it is the, the, the pinnacle of, of that kind of full-colour swashbuckling film. It's it's very good at doing that. So, recommended uh, if you're if you're happy with that and not having to think too hard about anything <laughs> during the film. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's not going to raise any serious philosophical questions, but it's fun. <laughs> it and, is. And sometimes fun. that's and, what you want. Well, most of the time that's what we want from films. <laughs> I think that's what we've discovered in Ribbon of Me. And films just better at doing that than a lot of other media are, and it's very good at doing it here. Uh, good job, thanks, Errol. More, please. Oh, is it? Am I too late? Yeah, I, I still like the story that he wanted to cite his autobiography in, like me. <laughs> um, he did seem to be quite self-aware. Um, well, there we are. I, well, watching Errol Flynn fade into darkness was probably what um, inspired the ending of Robin and Mary. But- I expect, but there we go. Yeah. Very good. I well, did like Robin and Marion, but, uh, it, it, uh yeah. yeah, I, I like the beginning and end. I just think it bogs down a bit with, with, it, it's trying to set up this Robin is old and tired and so on. Yeah. Okay. We get it. We don't need to, anyway. Yeah. It, it doesn't quite work. I, I, it's the sort of film I would and should love, but I only like it. But there we go. Anyway. But in any case, unlike some other Robin Hoods, I can speak with an English accent. <laughs> well, goodness me. 